Those are words that are always good to sing, right? When we all get to heaven, life can be very blessed here, but nothing like what heaven has in store. The same thing is running through my mind that ran through at first service. And I was looking at this uh, cold image and I thought to myself, the mountains of Austria have the Von Tropp family and Beaverton has the Ahina family. Amen. Thank you for singing so beautifully and just uh, really just lifting our hearts. Uh, Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I have a thought to share with you today, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited and privileged to be able to share it. And, and just before we pray, I, I just want to say this comment. Um, I really value and appreciate this church family. And the, the privilege of preaching here is a really high privilege for me. Uh, the journey of preparing to stand here and to share with my church family is such a blessing to me personally. As I engage material and things like that to just try to bring my best. But to stand here with you as a church family and just, uh, just play this part, I, I just value it. And I really appreciate it. And I'm glad to be here again today. And I'm glad you're here. It's a lot less fun to preach by yourself. And uh, it's a lot more meaningful when it feels like the Lord has a family gathered to share an experience. And so let's pray that the Lord will bless us as we uh, spend just a few moments in his, his word. Our Father in heaven, thank you uh, for the goodness. Thank you for hope. Thank you for the hope of heaven. Uh, Lord, thank you that uh, we have the privilege of prayer that we're exercising right now. We just want to invite your, the Spirit to be with us, to, to quicken our minds, that we might have our hearts in tune with yours, that our ears might be tuned in to your voice. Uh, Lord, more of you and less of me. And I I just pray that these, these thoughts that uh, you've compelled me to share, uh, they would land on each person's ears in just the way you would have them according to your will. Lord, we pray for that gift again of the spiritual attentiveness, that the distractions would go away and just for a little time, you would help us to be able to spiritually focus so that we can seek your voice in these moments. Uh, thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. There's a famous, acclaimed American poet by the name of Emily Dickinson. And Emily Dickinson wrote a letter once, and in this letter she, she coined a phrase that has become kind of a, an idiom in our culture and language. And here is that phrase. I'm guessing most of you have heard the first part. Maybe the second piece of it is less familiar. The heart wants what it wants. Or else, it does not care. Have you heard that before? The heart wants what it wants. That's the more familiar part of the phrase. The second part is less familiar. Or else, it does not care. Like I said, these words have become an idiom. A phrase that is invoked in our language to explain or even justify a person's behavior. Especially if that person's behavior is is confusing to us or it's disturbing behavior to others. The heart, that is the emotions, the desires, that which we long for. The heart, emotions, usually, often, win over truth or reason or logic. 
When the heart is up against what's wise, when the heart is up against what might be logical, oftentimes the heart wins. This phrase that she has coined speaks a truth. If the heart wants it, the heart will care about it. And then conversely, if the heart doesn't want it, then the heart won't really care. Like I said, this phrase is invoked when someone is making an unwise, emotionally based decision. And sometimes, and we've all been in those moments, when we are the one that are all wrapped up in our, our heart, our emotion, and we're making decisions in this very emotional state, sometimes it's others who is able to see things more clearly. And sometimes when we're the other, we will invoke this phrase. For example, I'll give you some examples. A young man is just out of college. He's worked hard. He's studied hard. He's done well. And he's just landed his first kind of real job. And for the first time in his life, he's going to be earning a a pretty decent income that has a sense of dependability. It's going to be happening for a while. And along with that income rises up the desire of his heart that he's had since he was a younger man in high school for this particular beautiful, expensive truck. He's just kind of had his eyes. Maybe, maybe for me, it would be a, a, a Toyota Tacoma. That would be that description for me. Just, ah, it'd be so great to own that truck. And maybe he's been watching that and he's just been drawn. He's like, he's watched the updates and the upgrades and, and the new one is just out and he has this new job. Now, sound judgment, good reason, financial logic would say, wait, Don't buy that truck yet. It's not a wise decision yet. You should be thinking about your student loan debt first. Think about that, not the truck. That would be the wise decision in that moment. But the desire of the heart, the emotional center overrules. And he walks out of a dealership with his brand new truck. And mom and dad sit back at home And kind of go, well, I guess the heart wants what the heart wants. That's kind of a lighthearted example compared to the next one. Because that's just kind of those decisions that are made for tangible things, material things, in an emotional state. But sometimes these kind of things happen when it's not just a tangible thing, but it's more about a relationship. When someone's making unwise decisions relationally, for example, and just an example, let's say a woman has just gone through a really bad breakup, really difficult, maybe even to the level of divorce, but just a a really traumatic, heartbreaking breakup. And it can happen the other way. I'm just using the example of a woman. So this woman has just gone through a very heartbreaking breakup and everyone who cares about her knows that she is very vulnerable. That emotionally she's just not strong right now. Everybody that cares about her knows that what she needs is a little time to emotionally heal. And in that vulnerable phase, some guy asks her out. And in this case, not a good guy. And everybody knows this guy is not trustworthy because he seems to have a pattern of of targeting women who are emotionally vulnerable. Everyone knows that. She knows that. But her heart is just emotionally broken at the moment. It's not a good idea. 
But the woman is just so excited for the, the new attention. The woman is just so excited to the idea of just, I just want to move on. I want to get past this moment in my life and just move forward. And so those around her watch her kind of jump right into this dating relationship with the absolute wrong guy. And if not the wrong guy, the absolute wrong time. And as those around her interact, they kind of shake their head and they say, well, I guess the heart wants what it wants. That's how we use that phrase. We use that phrase to just try to describe that, boy, the heart has powerful influence over our life. What Emily Dixon wrote communicates a truth about the human heart. And I I do think it's true. Our heart wants what it wants. The heart, that the seed of emotions, our desires... They hold a strong influence over our lives. And whether we realize it or not, our hearts drive many of our decisions. You and I, we often in various forms, we hear this contemporary message that says, follow your heart, it will guide you. Boy, that sounds nice, doesn't it? Follow your heart, it will guide you. It sounds nice. And it's not that emotions are absent from good decision making. Uh, Your heart is there. Emotions do matter. But this saying, follow your heart, it will guide you. It sounds nice. But is that always a safe approach to take? The idea of, of follow your heart becomes very complicated when we begin to consider what God has revealed to us about the human heart. In one of these instances, God has spoken to us through the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah spoke saying these words, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Boy, those are heavy words, aren't they? Jeremiah served the Lord as a prophet, speaking the word of the Lord to his people. And he spoke during a time when God's people were in widespread rebellion. Early in Jeremiah's prophetic ministry, the nation was in revival, but then that really began to fade away to the point where God's people were in such widespread rebellion that they were being taken captive by a foreign nation of Babylon. And what Jeremiah has proclaimed here, it holds true for the the heart of this nation in that time, but it also holds true to the heart of an individual. The first thing we should recognize is that God knows the heart. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. The text says, I, the Lord, search the heart. The question is posed, who can understand it? The Lord understands it. I, the Lord, search the heart. King David, in his writings, Psalms 139, he voiced it differently. He said, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. And the one who knows the deepest parts of the human heart, not just the human heart as a condition that we all share, but but individually, the one who knows your heart individually, 
says, oh, listen, especially when your heart is far from me, it's deceptive and you can't trust it. God says, in your broken, sinful nature, I love you and I need you to know that your heart is tricky. Your heart can confuse you. You don't always understand your heart like I understand it. God says, I I love you, but you must know that your heart, especially when you are far from me, it's sick and it can't always be trusted. God didn't say it this way, but taking what God says and kind of tying it to what Emily Dickinson wrote, it rings true. Your heart wants what it wants. But you can't always trust that your heart wants what it should want. Your heart can deceive you. This is true in all areas of life, but I would like for you to think about this in terms of your relationship with God. Does your heart want to be with God? Want it, desire it, long for deeper relationship. Is your heart drawn towards the the higher things of God? Do you desire spending devoted times connecting with God? That you look forward to it. Those are the precious moments of the day that, that you desire and don't want anything to interfere with those devoted moments that you may share with God. When someone like myself, a teacher or a preacher, encourages you to engage more fully in a devotional life, like last Sabbath, talking about Martha and Mary, and just encouraging all of us to to slow down and to take time to sit with Jesus and to listen to his words. When, When someone like myself encourages you to engage more fully in a devotional life, Does your heart get energized? Do you say, yes, I want that. It's not easy. I don't know how to go about it. It doesn't always work well for me. But my heart is drawn there. I desire it. I want that. Or do you find yourself being more on the side of being just dismissive? Preacher is talking again and... When the alarm rings early in the morning... Do you rise up with some sense of anticipation and joy that I have a chance this morning to to grab a few quiet moments before the day gets busy, to just grab a few quiet moments with my Savior and His words? Do you you wake up with a sense of, I'm so glad I woke up this morning, I'm going to have that moment. That's wanting it. Or maybe you're just not that morning person. Forget it, right? Maybe when the day is done and everything is buttoned up, the day is kind of everything tied off nicely and... All the things are, like I said, just buttoned up. Do you find yourself in those moments saying, okay, great. Now I have a moment to draw close to my Savior and just connect with Him. That's wanting it. It's a, I'm asking a very sincere question. They're meant to be self-reflective questions. But these questions are very much for my heart as they are your hearts. They're good questions to ask. And I I find myself asking them, all too frequently, are your desires, are your emotions, are your feelings energized when you engage in relationship with God? 
Do you desire time spent talking with God as to a friend in prayer? That you long for those. I just, I just love having seasons of prayer with my Savior. I desire it. I want it. It's so great. Do you get excited about the opportunity to listen to God through the reading of his word? And just say, he's talking to me through the Bible. And I just, I just enjoy. So I wish I had more time. I'd like to spend a little more time here. Or do you get excited about this? Sabbath morning. When you get a chance to experience God in community and worship and friendship with others who are walking this walk alongside you. The main, the main idea I'm trying to bring to you today is, is this. And I know I'm kind of hammering it a little bit, but I just want us to go deeper and think. When it comes to being in relationship with God, the heart wants what the heart wants. Does your heart want to know God more fully? Is your heart drawn to the, to the types of experiences that help you know God more fully and His love and His wisdom? Let me press it just a little bit longer. Think about your, your devotional life with Jesus, those seasons, those moments that you set aside to devote to this relationship with God. Is this something you do because your heart wants it? Or is this something you do because you're supposed to? This is what you're told you ought to do. It's a task that needs to be checked off a list. It's different. Or even, and I pray this isn't the case with anyone here at this moment, but life is life. It very likely could be. Or even, do you essentially not have a devotional life because your heart simply doesn't want it? The heart wants what it wants or else it doesn't care. And you just don't really want it. I have a hard time believing you're here today if that's 100% true. But maybe somewhere on a spectrum we're in that direction. Listen, more often than not, the center of our emotions, our heart, our desires, wins over reason and good logic and just truth as it is walking in Jesus. And even though we know we shouldn't fully trust our emotions, we almost instinctively just do. So what do you do? What do you do when, when you're not always there, but maybe you're there right now? Maybe you'll be there someday soon. What do you do when you really just don't desire time with God? You just don't. You're just being honest with yourself. I really don't. There's lots of things I enjoy doing, lots of things that I prioritize, things that get me kind of excited and I get to go do that and I just don't when it comes to time with God. Do we trust that? Do we trust that lack of desire and just shrug our shoulders and say, well, I guess my heart wants what it wants. I must follow my heart. I mean, if building a relationship with God was really important for me, then I would want it more. So eh, it must not be that important. Is that a safe way to think? Does that sound spiritually wise? No. Because our hearts matter so much. Solomon offers a bit of wisdom this way. Watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. Your heart is so significant. 
And when we say heart, not the beating organ, but the, the seed of our desires and emotions, he says, watch over that because from that flows your life because the heart wants what the heart wants. Okay, so there's the problem. What do we do about it? Is there something that we can do about this? Can the heart change? Is it possible to have a change of heart? Now listen, just a few moments ago, we read that kind of a stark passage where Jeremiah the prophet spoke the word of the Lord to a rebellious nation saying, your heart is sick and deceitful. Who can trust it? Who can understand it? Just several chapters later, Jeremiah is speaking the word of the Lord, a promise to those same people who knew their hearts and those words went like this. This is God speaking to his nation and to you and I. For I will set my eyes on them for good and I will bring them again to this land and I will build them up and not overthrow them and I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord. And they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole, whole heart. I mean, this passage is, is referencing in, 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 in its historical place, he's going to redeem his nation. He's going to bring them back from captivity. But we are invited to read this on a personal level where God says, I will do this for those who are away from me and will come back to me. I will do these for those who love me. And I want you to know, God loves you. So God says, listen, I will set out to do a good thing for you. I will bring you from wherever you are back home to my heart. I can build you up, God says. I can plant you. And what I rebuild or what I replant, I certainly don't intend to destroy or to uproot. God says, listen, your heart is deceptive. Your heart has led you away from me. And it's caused you to live further away from me than I would like. Your heart hasn't always been trustworthy. Your heart has been sick. But God says this, I have something for you. He puts an offer on the table. I will give you a heart to know me. I will give you a heart that will desire to be with me. I will be with you. I will be your God. And this heart that I will give you, you will want to be with me as my people, as my children. I will give you a new heart that desires to be with me. That sounds like a pretty good offer to me from God. Does it sound like a good offer to you? That is an amazing offer that God has put on the table. And in my opinion, if God has offered something like that, then we should say, yes, please, I want it. Another way of saying what God has offered and we say, I'd like to receive that, is to claim the promise. King David knew that his heart gave him trouble. In the, in the story of David, his heart gave him trouble. Many times he followed his deceptive heart and it caused him loads of difficulty. 
So he would then return to God with this heartfelt prayer. Here's how he coined a phrase to kind of accept God's offer of that new heart that desired to know him. David put it this way, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Church family, this is a worthy prayer to pray often. This is a prayer when prayed sincerely changes the heart. And I can speak to that on a personal level. Oftentimes, oftentimes I realize that my desire for time well spent with God has, has diminished. Sometimes I'll be in the course of my life and I'll, and I'll turn around and think, whoa, I just went through like a whole week and didn't really have devoted time with God. I worked on things, I prepared things, you know, but didn't really, or, or maybe I haven't kind of slipped away from it completely. I'm just recognizing that my interest, I'm just doing it, but my heart doesn't seem to be really impacted by it. I'm just confessing that often I realize that, that my interest in or my heart for sitting with Jesus and listening to his words like Martha's sister Mary did that we spoke about last week. I just recognize it's lost some heart. Enthusiasm isn't quite there. The desire has weakened. And I've learned in my own life that I can't change my own heart. This is not one of those areas that you can kind of say, okay, I'm going to pick up my Bible, I'm going to set my jaw, and I'm going to determine my will, and I'm going to just force my heart to find joy in the higher things of God. That might produce some discipline for a little while that the Lord can use to bring about some good things, but it isn't really changing my heart. But I'm praising God that He has shown me that he is able to change my heart. And he's done it for me over and over and over again. In times where my spiritual life grows cooler or cold, I ask God, can you warm it back up? And there's no prayer to recite. There's no magic kind of phrase that makes it work or not. But the prayer that sounds like a person who's grown cold and says, change my heart, create in me. These are the kinds of prayers that are spoken, that I have spoken. God, I, I need that new heart again. Renew my heart and mind. Give me a clean heart that is drawn to, to your heart. God, give me a new heart that desires, that just craves wanting to spend time with you. God, I know that my heart wants what it wants, and I know how easily I just live in my own desire. God, please shape my heart so that what it wants is what you want for me. Change my heart, oh God. And I can just testify in personal journey when I sincerely pray this. Not just once, but I pray, I, I pray, and I pray. When I sincerely pray this prayer, God responds. And I begin to experience God working on my heart. I want to close this way. I really should do this every night. But I can say that I do it quite often. What I do almost every night before I go to bed is, 
is I often, I'm kind of downstairs, I, I kind of uh, do a little bit in the kitchen, I'll turn the thermostat down, and as I'm heading up the stairs, flipping the lights off, I look over to the front door and see the bolt lock between the door and the jam, door's locked, and I'll head up for the stairs to call it a night. And what I do almost every night is I go in to check on the kids. I, I just want to go in and see if they're okay and make sure they're covered up properly and, and just everything is, is okay. Roddy, when he goes to sleep, he's, he kind of just stays right where he's at for a very long time. Amelia is all over the place. I'll go in. A couple nights ago, I went into Amelia, and in her little bed that's fairly low to the ground, her face was on the ground, and her bum was still in the bed, sound asleep. Oh, I'm glad I came in to check on you and pick her up, turn around, lay her down, and cover her up. And then when I usually leave, I leave the doors open so that the rooms can stay a little warmer now that the house heat has been turned down. I do that all the time, and most of the time, quite often when I do that, there's something else that I do. I'll take a moment and I'll lay my hand on, on their heads or on their chest and I'll say a little prayer and that prayer is, Lord, give Roddy a heart to know you. Jesus, give Amelia a heart to know you because I know that what their hearts want is what will be. And I want them to have a heart that desires God. My church family, I need to pray that same prayer for myself more often. Perhaps every day. <laughs> and I invite you to pray this same prayer for yourself and for those around you as well. Your children. In fact, I want to close today by asking God to lay his hand on you. On us. And to give us hearts to desire to know him more fully. Can we do that? Let's close with prayer. Our Father in heaven, your hand is mighty. It is powerful. Your hand has creative power in it and can change us. And so as we close today, I want to pray that you would lay that hand on us as it were. And speak over us, Lord. I'm going to give you a new heart that wants to know me. Lord, give us new hearts that have a greater desire to know you because from that desire will come the energy and the joy of spending time with you. Lord, bless us. Change our hearts. In your name we pray.